Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing. I'm your host Manuel Fied and I'm once again joined by my Transfermarkt colleague Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting point of the year, isn't it? Just when the season's coming to an end. Uh, for most people, that means they can put their feet up, they can have a holiday, they can forget about the football for a while. But for us, it means the fun is only getting started, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, I think it's an, it is an interesting time of the year because we have some decisions, but we have some things that are still outstanding. I think it's also a time of the year where the transfer window really heats up. And I think we have a, a personality to discuss today. Um, people can maybe guess what it is. Um, but it's it's just like, I find it fascinating too, because obviously the, the title is decided, but the relegation is still open. The, champ, the final Champions League spot is still open. Um, promotion in the second division is still open. And that's going to be a very big topic today, Stefan. So lots to discuss, right? A huge amount to discuss, and I think this—I think this episode and the topics we are discussing will probably good, give a good reflection of uh, how the sport is kind of transcending from on the field stuff to off the field stuff. Absolutely, and we'll go jump right into it after this break. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that is BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V to receive you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So the first big thing, um, and we don't talk, we didn't talk too much about it this year, which is really a shame. And admittedly, it's because um, neither one of us had, the, had enough time to fully cover this league. Um this the second division bundesliga 2 we have one club come back stefan and i think it was all fun and laughs when schalke went down and the the way they imploded <laughs> towards the end um absolute self destruction mode right mm. um but then it's it's one of those things that yeah it's hilarious but then you really also quickly realize how important this team is for the makeup of the second of the of the Bundesliga. You know, um, depending on who you ask, they're the second biggest club in Germany by membership. Um, second biggest club in the that makes them the second biggest club in the world by membership as well. Um, they're just a huge cultural institution, um, 
And also, I think, and Dortmund fans will be the last to admit this, but they need them in the league as well, you know, to have that yearly revere derby, a derby that has been voted by many international magazines as one of the biggest in the world. And yeah, it was all fun and last for, for them to go down. Um, but I think it's also really important that they're back up and they have secured promotion with one match day to go. And I think anyone who's seen, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a shout out to Patrick Berger, who is an account who I think is really worth following if you follow the Bundesliga. The images that he posted on Twitter, just remarkable stuff. And I think you kind of get get a good idea of what it means for this club to be back in the Bundesliga, right? Oh, it's huge. It really is huge. And as you said, like I think we did kind of have a laugh at first about how useless Schalke have been, how poorly, behave, how poorly run they've been. Um, and then, of course, the, during the initial invasion of Crimea, they had the whole issues with Gazprom on their board. And it just kind of felt like things couldn't go right for Schalke. Um, but from a German point of view, German football point of view, you know, the arguably maybe the second, third biggest club in the in, in, German, in Germany in terms of support, in terms of the membership. Um, and it, it it hasn't quite been the same without them. I, I, I feel the same way about Hamburg as well, to be perfectly honest with you, just because, you know, the point in the league's history when I kind of started following it, I've always thought of Hamburg as a mainstay. Um, and... You know, their demise was kind of laughed at as well by rival fans and to mm. some degree until Werder Bremen did the same thing. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 it's, it's horrible um, to have these big clubs in that division, especially in a point when the Bundesliga probably kind of needs everything firing on all cylinders. And, you know, this isn't really to take away from the Greuther Ferds or the Armenia Bielefelds of this world because they obviously deserve to be there on merit, but in terms of what it means to the league and how it projects itself, um, it's it's a shame that they're not there. So it's 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 great to have Schalke back. And you know the thing about Schalke as well is like if they're if they're actually performing to maybe even just eighty or ninety percent of their capacity, they're a top six side. You know, I really do feel like if Schalke were performing perfectly well and they were doing as best they can, they're a team that really should be on a par with Dortmund. They're a team that really should be causing Bayern Munich problems. Uh, of course, I'm not saying this team right now are anywhere near that. I don't think the club are anywhere near that either. But to have Schalke back on their feet, to get promoted, to get back into the top flight, um, it's one of those teams that kind of makes everyone think, well, hold on a minute, where does, this, where, does this, where does this put us next season? Because most of the teams in the Bundesliga are probably worrying that if Schalke... Have got their head screwed on properly again. They might have to step aside and, and move down a spot or two because Schalke's natural place in German football is second, third, or fourth, or something along those lines. Yeah, I know they they were always a top six side until this uh, self destruction, and then I think COVID finally did them in completely right because of the the amount of depth that they had as an organization was just. Um, <laughs> was incredibly large. And then, of course, the whole Gazprom uh, connection didn't help, even though Gazprom did bail them out initially, right? But then, of course, with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, they had to they had to cut ties with them. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how far along they are in this process of, of fixing the finances of the club, right? Um, I do think that 
one thing that really is in, in, it will work out for them quite well is that um, like Borussia Dortmund, they're very much dependent on attendance figures. And, um, and I also think that because it was only one year in the second division, uh, there is a three or five year coefficient. I have to double check this. Um, that determines um, you the amount of money you get from TV in the Bundesliga, right? And I think because it was only one year in the second division, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have dropped quite as far in that coefficient ranking. Um, this is of course a problem that HSV will have, right? I mean, it will take them quite some time to to build their way back up into that coefficient ranking. So I think that they they they're getting going straight back up and um, having also gotten rid of a lot of these um, toxic contracts that they had. Um, I think it's it's going to help them quite a lot financially. And um, at the first, first order of business for them is, I think, to stay in the Bundesliga next year, right? Um, we've seen this countless times where like big clubs have come back. Look at Stuttgart, um, who we're going to probably talk about in a moment as well. And they, they, the, how difficult it has been for them to stay in the league. Or Hertha, right? Another example. Um, both of these teams could be could be in a relegation promotion playoff spot when, when the dust settles on the Bundesliga. And I think it's really difficult to actually remain in, in Germany's first division because unlike other, or the other top four leagues in, in, in Europe, we only have 18 teams in Germany. And that makes it really hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we were just kind of going through before we started recording, like the possible lineups for the playoffs, and it's we could end up having some huge, huge games. You know, I think I said like if Hamburg end up playing Stuttgart in the playoffs of of the you know the promotion race, then it's two of the biggest clubs in Germany going toe to toe in a game that really, really matters, and you know it could end up rivaling the Pokal final in terms of fan support, attendance and, you know, TV viewership, at least within Germany itself, because um, this is kind of, this this is the kind of bizarre nature of German football over the last 10 or, 10 or 12 years. It's kind of the equivalent of having like Liverpool versus Tottenham going head to head to see who gets promoted and who gets relegated from the Premier League. That's honestly like the kind of gist of it here. Mm. Um, so... It's going to be great. I think it's going to be some. It's just fantastic to have these two teams. The great thing about the playoff as well is that it, it really brings a sense of kind of desperation to these games. Everyone goes hammer and tong at it. Um, I mean, if you're to ask me who I think would be best case, best place to kind of deal with this, I really have no idea. Um, usually, uh, you want to favor the team that's still in the top flight, but. I feel like in recent years, the kind of gap between the top of the Zwei Bundesliga and the Bundesliga has been kind of getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And I'm not entirely sure there's actually a huge gulf between the two. And what also kind of plays into like a team like Hamburg's favour is that they have a degree of momentum. They have some good form going into it. I know they keep dropping points and so does everyone else around them up at the top of that division. But they are at least winning games, unlike Stuttgart, who are scraping by at the minute. Whether it's Stuttgart or Hertha, who knows? But either one of those two teams um, certainly wouldn't be going into this game with a huge amount of morale or a huge amount of momentum, whereas a Hamburg or a St. Pauli or a Darmstadt, whoever else, they will be going into it with some sort of momentum. And that's the kind of thing, really interesting thing for me. 
I think that you may raise a really important point here because and I agree with you, Tim Walter has, has sort of said this as well, the head coach of Hamburger SV, that momentum is on their side because I think it was only about three or four weeks ago where we thought HSV were done in the promotion race, right? And um, at the moment, and this is really interesting too, on their final match day, so Werder Bremen are currently second with 60 points. They just need a point um, to stay in the league. They're playing Jan Regensburg, a team that is beyond good and evil. Um, they have nothing to play for. Uh, a draw for Werder Bremen will seal their promotion. Um, Hamburg are at Rostock. That's you know that's a northern rivalry. Um, they need to win this game because Darmstadt is uh, even on points with them at fifty-seven. Both HSV and Darmstadt at fifty-seven. Um, St. Pauli are three points behind Hamburg as far, and I don't think they're going to catch HSV because the goal differential is, just doesn't work in St. Pauli's favor. Um, but Darmstadt are at Paderborn, another team that's beyond good and evil, but is, you know, is sixth, good standing. So HSV will have to win their game no matter what. And then they have to see what Werder Bremen do to, to, because HSV have the better goal differential to Werder. If Werder Bremen lose and HSV win, HSV goes straight up and Werder Bremen are in that third spot, um, guaranteed. Which, of course, doesn't change the fact that, let's say it's Werder Bremen in third, it's still a massive club going into the promotion relegation playoff against possibly Stuttgart or Hertha Berlin. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, the entire, like, no matter who is going, okay, it could be Darmstadt, and then we'll all be like, oh, okay, hopefully Stuttgart wins or Hertha <laughs> wins because <laughs> no offense to Darmstadt, but. I don't know. We we had so many small teams in the league, and um, while they while they produce great stories, I think we really need our blue chip clubs back in the Bundesliga. And I think this is really an interesting topic, isn't it? Because ahead of the season, um, we talked so much about, and even a couple of weeks ago, we talked so much about what it needs for the product of the Bundesliga to be better. And I think one thing that needs to happen is for these blue chip clubs to return. Um, Obviously, we can't have them all back because, at the end of the day, uh, one of Werder, HSV, Hertha, or Stuttgart is going to lose out. Right? We're going to not have one of those blue chip clubs in, but they're all blue chip clubs. They're all big clubs with big fan following. And the more we have of those in the Bundesliga, the better the product is, but also the, the, the financial abilities that these clubs bring to the table, also make the competition more even. And I think that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it would be fantastic if we did go into next season and we had Schalke, Werder Bremen and Hamburg all back in the top flight. Um, it will boost like the average attendances by like <laughs> 10,000 or something next season. Uh, that's for sure. But also just in terms of the kind of prestige, the way support games, the bigger stadiums there. And it's also the fact that teams like Ham, all three of those teams have such great history, especially Hamburg, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. I mean, the, th- the interesting thing is, like, I'm looking at this, that last weekend of Bundesliga fixtures, and the interesting thing for me is that it's quite, I think it's quite easy to foresee Hertha, Stuttgart, and Armenia Bielefeld all losing. Um, you know, Hertha have to go to Dortmund. Stuttgart face Cologne, who will still be in contention for something in the last day. 
and Armenia Bielefeld play RB Leipzig, who'll still be in contention for something. Hertha maybe have a slightly easier thing since up against the Dortmund side, they have nothing left to play for, but that'll probably be Erling Haaland's farewell game to the fans, maybe some other players too. Mm. Um, they'll want to finish in a good spot. Stuttgart are up against the clone side to continue. I know they obviously lost to Wolfsburg, which was quite a surprise actually, but they've won a lot before that. They're still in decent form. And Bielefeld up against a Leipzig team, which will know that they cannot lose uh, on the final match day. So going back to that thing about momentum and who's got the kind of run of form, whoever, if I mean, if all three teams lose, it means it's Stuttgart, but it goes to go, just goes to show that, you know, there's, there's really no, there's, there's no team I'm looking at in that last match day thinking, ah, oh, they might sneak it. They might, they might leapfrog or jump ahead. So I've got a sneaky suspicion it's going to be Stuttgart in the playoffs. I, I, I think it might be Hertha. Um, I saw the, I watched the Stuttgart Bayern game, and I think actually Stuttgart should have won that game. They were better. Uh, Kalajdzic, um first equalized right to make it two two, and then he had two sitters, hmm. like two chances where he should have should have scored. And I think Dortmund are going to beat Hertha, and I think Stuttgart might have a chance to beat Köln. And then, of course, the goal differential is in Stuttgart's favor, right? Mm. So I still, it's a funny feeling I have, especially because I don't want to apologize to Felix Magath. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, if the, if the last couple of weeks or anything to go by, I'm making no more predictions. No, it's, it's, it's been hard. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. Um, I was like jokingly telling you this. This is slightly off topic, but remember when I said um, in the last episode in our preview show that I originally had Leipzig to beat Augsburg four one, and then went back and like changed it to two one for Augsburg, and of course Leipzig absolutely destroy Augsburg four nil. I should have stuck with my original prediction. It's like when you do a test, right, and you you go back on what what you thought. What's the right yeah. answer? And you change your right answer. You should never, never, ever, ever change your first answer. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but it's it's been it's, it's been difficult. It's been very difficult. I think that final match day in the Bundesliga has a lot to offer still because that the relegation battle is very interesting between Hertha and Stuttgart. It's going to be what the Germans call ein Fernduell, a, mm. a duel from the distance, um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. We obviously also have the the fan duel between Freiburg and Leipzig for that final Champions League spot. Um, Union Berlin, mathematically not eliminated from the Champions League, but they have to make up 30 goals to Leipzig. Um, <laughs> that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I'm eliminating them now. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think you kind of touched on this already. One important one here, and this is this is of course Dortmund, right? May fourteenth, it's May 9th today. Um, we can pretty much assume Erling Haaland's transfer to Manchester City is done. He, as by the time we recorded, he was off for a personal matter. We all know what that personal matter is. Um, that's a medical at Man City to to finalize his deal. Um, to move there, 75 million euro release clause will be triggered. Um, he will sign 
a personal contract that will be beyond anything the world has ever seen. Good for him. Buddy got paid. Um, <laughs> that's not great news for the Premier League and their, their advertising to be competitive, Stefan. Because I... Yeah, there was a title race this year, sort of, maybe. I, th I personally thought it was over by January. Liverpool made it interesting for a while, but it's now three points again, isn't it? I can't see City lose any of their last final three games. Um, and it's not going to get any better for them next year. No, I mean, I kind of likened it on Twitter today to, you know, Thanos getting the final Infinity Stone in the Avengers, or if you're maybe of an older generation, it's a bit like the Death Star being finally operational. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we can, we will go on to talk about maybe Haaland's legacy at Dortmund, but I think first and foremost, we have to kind of point out that when this guy is fit and, and, and match sharp, there are very few players in the world that can do what he does on a football pitch. Um, he's technically maybe a bit of a poacher, a number nine, but the way that he just kind of marauds up and down the pitch, the way that he can just kind of just knock players on their backside, defenders in particular, and the way he galvanizes teams and the way he scores important goals, um, at least as we've seen here in German football over the last, what, 18 months was it something like that more than that actually um he's he's i, I mean i genuinely do think if he can stay if he can, if he can avoid any injuries he will go on to become one of if not the best players in the world um and that's kind of scary obviously from an english football point of view which this podcast isn't about so we don't have to really linger on that too much but mm. we're talking about a club like man city who as I said, already have a stranglehold on the Premier League. And I've kind of had this theory going since Pep really moved there because I remember thinking this after he left Bayern Munich that he's obviously a very good coach uh, at developing teams for winning league titles. He's very good at kind of, his tactics are very good at, you know, being overbearing and dominating a, a league. And I did think that he might actually be the worst thing for the Premier League in terms of a marketing ploy or in terms of it as, as selling itself as the most entertaining league in the world because he will kind of slowly but surely, like like a boa constrictor, just kind of tighten his grip. And that's what his Manchester, Man City side have done. Um, you know, Manchester United aren't anywhere near the top. Liverpool have done an amazing job under Jurgen Klopp, but they don't really have the resources to mount season after season title races they kind of go in you know ups and downs in terms of key players being in a team and obviously Chelsea um have their own issues but by the by no means have the resources at this present time or probably going into the future to match Man City so it'll be very interesting to see how this how this transfer impacts on uh English football because I think it will be akin to like Sergio Aguero, the way the, impre the impression he left on Man City. Yeah. Wasn't always fit, didn't always finish entire seasons, but when he was fit, when he was match sharp, he won games for, for Man City, he won titles for them. Uh, and I think that's what Haaland will do there. Well, and you also have to remember, they also signed Julian Alvarez, right? Um, so they're signing two strikers now, two number nines. Um, yeah. Good thing we're not covering the Premier League. It's going to be just as boring as our league, Stefan. Um, 
like, I mean, it is it is an interesting point, right? I mean, how many real title races had we had in the Premier League? Um, I have a friend of mine who always says, like, whoa, like, but but when I say to him, like, well, we had title races in Germany, it just and happened to be that Bayern Munich won in the end. And he's like, well, that's irrelevant. And so I will just say to him this year, like, well, yeah, yeah, there was a title race, but it's irrelevant because City still won, right? It's essentially becoming the same thing. Um, and we have discussed how you can fix um, maybe leaks, and I think this is a this is a topic that will be become more and more urgent uh, as time goes by, as every league is essentially becoming, I mean, becoming controlled by one club. I think there will be uh, some sort of movement towards maybe changing the way uh, domestic leagues look, and we have discussed playoffs in the Bundesliga in the past, right? Uh, what I find more interesting at this point is. What do we make of Erling Haaland's time at Dortmund? I mean, he won the Pokal, didn't bring them a title. A lot of the time that he spent there was without fans during COVID, right? Hmm. And I think that is perhaps something that we were robbed of is to really experience this time um, with him being a fully fit we have to remember he missed a lot of time he missed more than 50 percent of playing time with injuries and um we also the majority of his time there was without fans and i think that is the legacy of that it's it's almost are we even going to remember much of it because it's almost like Haaland came and went and that those two years were like a, a blip that never existed yeah, you know, it's such an interesting one with Haaland because, you know, Dortmund fans have unfortunately had to get used to this idea that these kind of star players come and go. But in the past, with the likes of Mario Goza, Robert Lewandowski, Shinji Kagawa, whoever else, they achieved something and then they left, you know, and it was a kind of bittersweetness and it was, there was a real anger and resentment. I remember when Goza left, I remember when... Lewandowski left. I remember the vitriol that Dortmund fans had towards Bayern Munich for stealing their star players, and I don't feel this with Erling Haaland at all. And I think there's, I think there's a few th- reasons for that. I think, as you said, one of them, it's a really good point, is the simple fact that the fans haven't been in the stadium for the vast majority of his time at the club, and that doesn't seem like it should be a big thing, but it is a huge thing. It's a, it's a bond that the players have to form with these fans, you know, watching them week in, week out. And I'm not sure Haaland has had that with Dortmund um, or with Dortmund fans. I could be wrong and Dortmund fans can maybe tell you I'm wrong. That's fine. But I do agree with you when you say that. And I think the other thing as well is that his brilliance at Dortmund has come at a time when the club have been far from brilliant. And, yeah. you know, there there have been some really outstanding moments. The one that really stands out to me is that Pokal final last year when they beat Leipzig. He scored two goals. Um you know, and there's the pic, but then the pictures of him and Bellingham celebrating afterwards. It makes you really think, like, you know, these guys are really onto something. The fans can celebrate that. It's a first trophy in how many years for the club, you know? But in the grand scheme of things, as and and in terms of what the club was achieving ten years ago or so, it's 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 not really in comparison. And I think I was actually kind of thinking about this today in terms of what his legacy is. And I actually think a good example of how limited maybe his 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 legacy at the club is was perhaps his record against Bayern Munich 
And, you know, over the course of seven games against Bayern, he scored five goals and picked up one assist, which is just an incredible return, if you think about it, for any player, um, least, least of all one who's 21 years old, to go up against Bayern Munich five times for any club or to go up against him seven times against uh, in any competition and to walk away with five goals and one assist is incredible. Kylian Mbappe would be happy with that. Cristiano Ronaldo would be happy with that. Lionel Messi would be happy with that. But the problem is when you take a step back from his personal record, you realise that Dortmund lost each and every single one of those goal, those games, um, you know, including two Super Cup finals. And I, I was actually at that last game when Bayern won the title a few weeks ago, the 3-1 match at the Allianz Arena, and he was kind of plodding around the pitch. He wasn't completely match fit. And before full time, he just kind of came off. And it just seemed like such a a minor moment in that game. Now, of course, Bayern were about to win the title. They're about to celebrate. Everyone in the Allianz Arena was going nuts because they knew that the title was coming. But it's the fact that Haaland just kind of walked off that pitch and there wasn't anything significant about it I thought was so bizarre. Um, and, you know, I think his record will speak for itself. Um you know, as as his career goes on. Uh, but I, I do just kind of feel like, although he could walk away from his time at Dortmund and say, yeah, you know, I did my job. I put the ball in the back of the net. I think it's maybe quite telling that Dortmund did have the best striker in the world or one of the best strikers in the world for the last two seasons. And they st- it, it still didn't move the dial at all in terms of them getting towards Bayern, in terms of them challenging for titles, in terms of them building a squad. Um, and I wonder if kind of Sebastian Kell and, you know, Terzic and Marco Rosa and whoever's kind of making the plans for the summer transfer window, I wonder if they've taken that into account and thought, well, you know what, if we if we were able to miraculously find a striker who can score as many goals as Haaland does next season, it's not going to make a difference because... We had that player this year. We had that player last year, and we still struggled. So maybe his legacy will be that Dortmund just going a completely different. Uh, they go in a completely different direction in terms of building a squad, and you know maybe that's what they will do with Adeyemi, and they're talking about bringing another striker in as well. Maybe if they're looking to maybe build a more comprehensive squad that doesn't rely on single players, which it has done the last two years. So. Just kind of round that up, all I would say is that although I think Haaland has been brilliant, I think he's been awe-inspiring, he's taken my breath away at times on the pitch for Dortmund, I think his legacy will be tied up in the fact that he wasn't able to kind of move the dial, which isn't arguably his fault. Uh, it's Dortmund's fault for not being able to put, build a proper team and bring in proper coaches and you know just be run as a successful club. But I think ultimately that's something that um, will end up impacting his legacy in the long run and I think it's maybe also played a part in why the fans don't have that same connection with him. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on there. Um, I think it's interesting. The conclusions that the Dortmund will draw from this are going to be probably a lot of the things that you just outlined. There will be a walk away from the reliance of one player. Um, I think... And I think this is really important. Karim Adeyemi is going to be probably announced around the same time than whenever Haaland will be announced to City. And 
while I think the the announcement is closed, I think it's still going to be a couple of days um, for all this to be wrapped up and announced. And you know, um, Dortmund will have Dortmund will have go to the stock exchange too, right? And we haven't seen that yet by the time of recording. Let me just double check Twitter. Maybe it's out. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Dortmund have to actually announce this on the stock exchange, right? This is a very important a very important mechanism for them. That um, a, a deal the size of this, they will have to um, issue a stock warning, and they haven't done so by the time of recording. But you know, I, I do think that this is all done and dusted. Um, and the the conclusion from all of this, I think, is going to be that they're going to go a very different direction. I think one of the things that has always bothered me about the time that Erling Haaland was at Dortmund was that the club seemed to be very one-dimensional in its attacking approach. Mm. Um, so far so that they actually went to the youth setup to find a Haaland clone to put up front there um, in Tigges, right? Mm. Uh, so much of the club's tactics was to just put the ball up front and hope for the best. And while that produced a ton of goals for Erling Haaland, I don't think it actually was the right way to go about in terms of challenging Bayern long-term. Because um, it didn't give him the support personnel to be successful. And I think it didn't give Dortmund the sort of structure that they needed to be successful either. Um, a big part of the time at Jurgen Klopp was, of course, that although they had uh, Luca Barrios for the first year that they won the title and Robert Lewandowski in the second year, it wasn't really a one-dimensional team. There were so many moving parts that, that made their success possible. Hmm. And I think this is why Adeyemi is, is an interesting transfer to come in. Obviously, he's not a replacement for Erling Haaland. Um, that's still Mr. X. Today, uh, Sebastian Haller was, was rumored, right? Um, obviously, he's also really heavily linked to Bayern Munich. I, I personally think that would be a great move to bring in Haller. Um, I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, I think, too, that much of Dortmund's success will hinge on other positions. And I think they're doing their homework there quite well. And Sule and Schlotterbeck, right? They're bringing yeah. in two players that will actually maybe give this club the very foundation it needs to be successful. And I think this is maybe another part of the Haaland legacy is that as good as he was, he he was almost like a giant standing on no foundation, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost kind of like, almost like an art expression that kind of comes to mind as well as putting the cart before the horse in the sense yeah. that, you know, they basically try to outscore teams, which as we've kind of noted a hundred times this season, it's just Dortmund 101 this season, just see how many goals they can score and hope that Mats Hummels and Cole don't concede more. Um, I think if I'm a Dortmund fan, I'm not entirely upset about Han leaving. I think a lot of Dortmund fans have came to terms with that a long time ago. Um, but I'm a bit wary that, you know, obviously they have to bring in strikers. They have to bring in more forwards because they're losing Haaland. So they're like, right, we need more goals. And even if they weren't losing Haaland, even if Haaland had decided he wants to stay for another season, there's still the concern about those attacking midfield positions the team basically have no wingers whatsoever. They've got Julian Brandt, they've got, you know, Marco Royce, they've got Hazard, 
But these guys, um, Marco Royce has done well, but as I continue to say, and I know this is a weird time to bring us up because I think Brad what, got two assists or two goals this weekend. Um, they just haven't yeah. been consistent at all. So I think even if Haaland had stayed at the club, they probably would have still had to bring in someone like Adeyemi to kind of add another dimension to that attack. Um, my concern is that they spend the whole summer signing Adeyemi and then they put their feet up and say, well, you know, we got the blockbuster boys in, we got Sula, we got Schlotterbeck, we got Adeyemi. That'll keep the season ticket fans happy. But this team still has so much more it needs fixed. It needs at least three more fullbacks, I think. Um, I'm not, I don't think any of the fullbacks of the club are good enough, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm willing to keep Gallero as a kind of backup or as a player who maybe might be able to get back to his previous form. But besides that, I'm really not convinced by any of them. Um, they still well, have... is coming in, apparently, from Gladbach. Sure. Yeah, well, right. that's a good that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I suppose that would work. Uh, defensive midfield, still an issue as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Rosa might have plans to play a kind of back three, and maybe that's where Hazard or a Wolf or someone can kind of fill in the blanks till then. But we're going to have the same problems next season if Dortmund don't learn their lessons from these last couple of seasons and realise, yeah, you know what, there's no point having the best striker in the world if we don't have functioning defenders. Um, so that'll be, I'll be interested to see how much emphasis they put on that this season because I think they have a lot to make up for based on how they performed this season. Yeah, I mean, one name that... Um, and I think this was pretty much a done deal already um, last year and then kind of failed... At the final stretch, um, remember when they brought in Donia Malen from PSV? They were also he- very heavily linked to Noni Man- Matueke, right? The English winger who plays for PSV, PSV as well. Mm. And, um, you know, Noni didn't have the best season this year. Um, just pulling up his stats here. And uh, I know he has he had a lot of injury is- issues. Uh, nine goals and uh, five assists in 33 games across all competitions. Um, just 16 games in the Eredivisie. Um, you know, not a standout year, but that is probably the, the sort of player that they need to add um, on top of whoever else they're bringing in. Um, if they can bring in Sebastian Haller as well, that's great. There's, there's that kid from Stadraum, um, the guy that I mentioned on the podcast a couple weeks ago, right? Um, excuse me, I have to actually look up his name uh, <laughs> real quick. Hugo um, Ikitike, 19-year-old striker, who's been in, in tremendous form for, for Stadraums as well this year. Um, is considered a huge talent. And I feel like it almost is going to probably be a wholesale of changes for them and that that comes with its own risks i find because how often have we looked at dortmund and they said they're bringing in an army of new players and we're all looking at each other and say well this is the year there's all these great signings like they they're so good like all these transfer signings are fantastic they're going to challenge bayern and then nothing happens yeah exactly exactly so it's it's going to be an interesting one it's going to be it's going to be a very busy summer. It's going to be an exciting summer. So I'm looking forward to it because I think Bayern Munich are probably going to have a lot of business too. Sally Hamovic mm-hmm. has already began kind of teasing that, saying they might end up making some big signings. Um, who knows? But I think they have a lot of business they have to do as well. So we should see quite a lot of money exchange hands this summer. Um, mm-hmm. 
and that's before we even talk about Leipzig, who are usually one of the busiest teams as well. So, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting, I think. But I think from a Dortmund point of view, they have to learn the lessons. And that, again, that's what I said a couple of minutes ago. That end up that could end up being the legacy of Erling Haaland. They realise, do you know what? With the we we can literally have the best striker in the world, and it doesn't actually fix things. So maybe we go in a different direction here. Yeah. No, absolutely. Dortmund will be an interesting one to watch. Um, before we go, I do really quickly want to talk about Bayern Munich and them finally lifting the the Meisterschale, um, Germany's biggest salad, Germany's most fanciest salad bowl, as it's called. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting watching, and it wasn't. You know, Stuttgart outplayed them. I, I think they were very lucky to get just the one point, to get get the one point. I think Stuttgart would have actually deserved the win there. Um, that was down to Kalajic miss, missing a huge sitter towards the end. That would have made it 3-2. Um, in fairness, Stuttgart have a lot to play for. Bayern, you know, I, I, I jokingly said on Twitter, party Bayern, because it really feels like that's what all they're doing right now. The thing that I found remarkable was the celebrations after the match where all the where the players went into the suit curve and actually celebrated with the fans and handed the Meisterschale off to the fans. Um, you know, you could see the the couple of the ultras holding up holding up the championship. You can tell me whatever you want, Stefan, but this might be number 10 for them but it seemed to feel like so much more important than all the last three or four. And I think a big part of it is because the fans weren't there for the last two. It did seem important. And there was so much fun made on, I mean, there was a couple of tweets from, from fans from other clubs in Germany that Bayern don't even care about this anymore. <laughs> you can't tell me that. No way. Yeah. Not after they, those celebrations. They don't care about it so much. They're just giving them out to the fans. We've got so many. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's that's bullshit. Excuse yeah. my language, but I'm, I'm yeah, no, I, I don't buy it. I think the fans care. No, of course they do. And I think that's a, of such a great moment as well. It's something that, you know, maybe German football fans possibly take for granted that, you know, the players do go up and they have conversations with the ultras and they celebrate with the ultras, but that's just something that doesn't happen at a lot in a lot of other countries. Um, I can certainly assure you that when Manchester City won the Premier League this season, they will not be going into the stands and passing the trophy around. Um, so yeah. it's a great moment for German football. And I totally agree with you in terms of, you know, Bayern. It felt very cathartic to be in that stadium when they kind of won the title and, you know, the the, the beer celebration started. And I sat there for about 20 minutes after full time and the place was still full, you know, so... There are clubs around the world that do win trophies after trophies after trophies and the fans show up, they pay their money and then they go home because they're bored of it. Certainly wasn't the case at Bayern Munich. Um, and I think that's, that's that's a really important point to remember about German football, even though it does get a lot of grief from international fans and fans of other leagues that it's boring. I think the important thing to remember is that on the ground, you know, Gladbach fans are still still going to Borussia Park and Freiburg fans are still going to watch their team every week and Schalke fans are still showing up in their tens of thousands even though they got relegated. These teams don't, by and large, sign up based on hope that they'll beat 
Bayern Munich every year at the shop because they support the club, um, because there's a very strong sense of identity between most of these clubs and their fans. Um, and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that's exactly why the Bundesliga is as special as it is. Uh, but it, and it was just great that Bayern were able to take that moment and they would share it with their fans because, um, as you said, they haven't been able to do that for so long. I also thought it was interesting how Niklas Sule was embraced by the fans. And uh, when the championship was handed over to Bayern, they, they, they gave the, the trophy to Sule. And uh, when he had it, he wanted to pass it on. And they all said, like, no. And you could see it on the lips. Like, you hang out with this trophy because it could be your last one. <laughs> Why not did you go into Dortmund? There was definitely that little bit of cheekiness. Um, <laughs> and that's a good story. You know, these those little things matter. Yeah. And uh, of course, Niklas now goes to Dortmund knowing that how his former teammates feel wanting to prove them wrong. Yeah, it's going to be such a great dynamic for next season. He's a great player. We did a kind of emergency podcast when he signed for yeah. Dortmund. It felt like a real kind of, it felt like a very strong moment in the, history, the modern history of German football. Um, it's the first yeah. time I can really think of when Dortmund have managed to get one over Bayern in the transfer window very directly. I know they've probably gone for players in the past and beat Bayern to them because they've been able to offer them more in terms of playing time, development, etc. But I think it was the first time that Dortmund were really able to you know, poke Bayern in the eye in the transfer window. So that should add... They did the same with Schlotterbeck. Yeah, That's... exactly. Another one as well. So yeah, so far so good for Dortmund. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe there will be more than just a Transfermeisterschaft this year for Dortmund. Um, <laughs> obviously, this sounds like a roundup podcast for the season. I, I can guarantee you it's not. We'll be back with a preview show later this week. Uh, we'll be in Germany later this week, too. Um, I'm going to some games. And then, of course, Stefan, you and I will be in Hamburg uh, for work mm. uh, next. Is it already next week? It's next yeah. week, isn't it? Wow. Um, so... We'll probably do a live show um, together at some point too, and we'll be we'll be here throughout the summer too. So this is not a roundup podcast at all. This is just a reflection of what's going on. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review. This this broadcast is always as always is brought to you by Bet Online, and we'll be back later this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.